someone has said, if, uh, if there have been three wise women instead of three wise men, the three wise women would have asked for directions, arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole, and given practical gifts. Would have been different. So if you're new to us, we're in a sermon series here, I'll Be Home for Christmas. And we're talking about Christmas in the home. Last week, we showed a picture of the, a Hallmark movie, Christmas family. It's all perfect. Everybody was pretty or handsome and successful and healthy and prosperous. And we just, nobody gets that in reality. I know some people that were at Disney this past week, and you know, you take your Disney picture and you post it up on Facebook and it looks fantastic. You're the happiest people on earth and the happiest place on earth. But how many pictures did you have to go through in order to get that perfect picture up on Facebook? So nobody really gets that in uh, reality. We all have challenges in our family. And so when we say we want to be home for Christmas in this sermon series, we're talking about we want to be in ourselves, incorporate those characteristics that make for a home that glorifies and honors God. And we're looking at the different people in the Christmas narrative and what they can teach us or illustrate for us about those characteristics. So last week, as we looked at Joseph and Mary, we talked about obedience and how we can be obedient in our homes, even if we're the only one, even if we happen to be the only Christian in our home, we can still obey God and change the entire dynamic in the family. Well, today we're moving away from Mary and Joseph, and we want to talk about the Magi, what the Magi can teach us and illustrate for us about being a Christian home. So what I want to focus on, and we could say many things about the Magi, what I want to focus on is worship. I think that's a theme that emerges naturally from the narrative about the Magi. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. We, they said, we have come to worship Him. We have come to worship Christ. So this was their focus and this was their goal, was worship. So what can we learn about incorporating worship in our home from the Magi? I'm going to say three things. First of all is veneration. We worship God in the Christian home through veneration. Matthew 2.11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and they worshipped him. So this is veneration. It's not a word that we use often in conversation, but let me give you some synonyms. Veneration is honor, adoration, appreciation, thanksgiving, respect, reverence, and awe. Do you not see this in the, in the posture of the Magi? bowing down and worshiping him before they ever give him anything. This idea of veneration speaks to the attitude that we're to have in our hearts as we bring a gift. So often in the Bible, so often in the teaching of Jesus, one's attitude, what was going on inside in the heart, was as important or more important than the actual gift that they were bringing. You remember Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. They sell a piece of property. They bring a portion of the proceeds of that sale and lay it at the apostles' feet. They give it to the church. But they claim to have given the entire sale price. So you see the difference there. They gave some. They claimed that they gave all. And as a result, Peter confronted them. They dropped dead at Peter's feet. Luke records a great fear came on the whole church, I guess. But one thing it illustrated was that their hearts were not right in the gift that they brought. They weren't seeking to glorify God with that gift. They were seeking to glorify themselves. 
So our attitude is so critical and important in the home, no matter what the gift is that we are bringing. And the attitude of veneration simply recognizes how much we owe God. We owe God everything. He is our creator, our provider, our sustainer. He is our redeemer. As Paul writes to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? That you did not receive from God. So whatever we bring, if it's a service, if it's a financial gift, whatever that opportunity is, we're always re-gifting back to God. It's always something that He gave us first. In the Old Testament, David wanted to finance the building of Solomon's temple, and so he asked the people, the Israelites, to give, and they responded generously. And in thanks, in, in David's prayer, he acknowledges God. 1 Chronicles 29, 14, he says, Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand, O Lord, our God. You're familiar with the Five Guys hamburger chain? We've got a Five Guys hamburger place here in town. And in that restaurant, they have a plaque, and I think it's in all of their restaurants. The plaque reads something like this. You, the customer, are the most important visitor on our premises. You are not dependent on us. We are dependent on you. You're not an outsider in our business. You're a part of it. We're not doing you a favor by serving you. You are doing us a favor by giving us the opportunity to do so. So I think that's a great attitude and a great posture for a business to have. With a little bit of tweaking, you could put that plaque in your own home. All of us can put it in our homes if it sounded something like this. In our homes, God, you are the most important person on these premises. You are not dependent on us. We are dependent on you. You are not an outsider in our home. You're a part of it. We're not doing you a favor by serving you. You're doing us a favor by giving us the opportunity to do so. Now, some of you, in your minds, you've already left the building. You're over here five guys, aren't you? I know. I know you. Come on back. How do we inculcate that? How do we worship God in, in reverence and awe and respect and veneration in our homes? How do we build that into the home? There's a lot of ways, a lot of things that could be said. I really want to keep it simple today. One way is just through prayer, through having prayer. Something as simple as having a prayer at our meals. And we're not always all together for a mealtime we're scattered, kids are at school at lunchtime, or people are at work. But at dinner, a lot of times folks come together and the family is all together. And simply the simple practice of bowing our heads and having a blessing over the meal teaches that. It conveys that. It honors God. It venerates God. Most of you know that uh, my kids live here, and so our extended family is all here, and we get our three families together. There's 12 of us, and we've got a lot of grandkids in there. And sometimes we bring it down to the lowest common denominator for the prayer time, the one that the, the two-year-olds know. We'll sing a song like, I don't know if you've heard this. If you have, sing it with me. God, our Father, God, our Father, once again, once again, thank you for your blessings, many, many blessings. Amen, amen. Little Cassie can lead that, and we all sing it together. Now, it's not complicated. But it's still theologically thick, recognizing God. He is our Father. Blessings come from Him. We thank Him for those blessings. Amen. Let it be. Just a very simple practice of worshiping God in the home through veneration. Now, here's another thing. Uh, thinking about the Magi is we worship God. We can worship Him in our homes through treasure. 
through our treasure. Again in verse 11, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of frankincense and myrrh. These three gifts were valuable. Gold has always been valuable, always will be valuable. When the, uh, when the dollar crashes, the economy crashes, and crypto crashes, and the real estate market goes south, and the world economy crashes, mark my words, we will return to a gold standard. You've heard it here first. Take it for what it's worth. It's not worth much, I can tell you that. Not an economist. But just saying, ever since the beginning, gold has been money. It's been a store of value. You know how valuable gold is. Also, frankincense and myrrh. These were items that... They were made of resins, basically, and used for different purposes, but myrrh was worth its weight in gold. Frankincense, very valuable. And just pointing out the word treasure here. They were giving things of value in their worship of Jesus. They weren't rummaging around in the attic so they could re-gift the elf on a shelf. You know, nobody wants that. They gave things that were definitely of value. We want to do the same thing. We worship God. God is a great God. He deserves our very best, the best of everything that we have, the first fruits, as the Old Testament puts it. When you're bringing a sacrifice to God, don't bring what's left over, bring the first fruits. Malachi chapter 1 verse 13, God here is challenging the, the people about their gifts that they brought to him. He says, when you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals, offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. He says, I am a great God to be feared among the nations. Bring me that which reflects the worth that I have in your eyes. In fact, this word worship comes from an old English word that means worthship and communicating the worth and the value that God has in our hearts and in our eyes. Years ago, one woman called into the Butterball hotline. It was around Thanksgiving, and she had a question. Her question was this. She said, I've had this turkey in my freezer for a year. It's been there for a year. She says, is it safe to eat this turkey? And the, the counselor said, well, it's probably safe, but it might not taste that good because it's, it's likely to be freezer burned, has freezer burn. She said, that's what I thought. I'll just give it to the church. Now, don't give the freezer burned turkey to the church. We don't give the freezer burned turkey to the Lord. We don't give that which is left over, that which is half-hearted, and that which does not matter. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. The longer passage is this, Matthew 6, 19. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When we say we want to worship God with our treasure in our home, let's just give the most obvious application. We need to give God some of our money. We need to be giving God some of our money. Life's expensive, and money's important. You have to have money to live, but money... Now, is the number one competitor to God for our allegiance. The Bible calls greed idolatry. The primary way that we can fight that, that greed, is by giving some of that money away. Giving it to God. Hey, if this is the church where you come, where you worship, where you get ministered to, then a portion of that offering belongs here at the church, at this church. 
And there are other ways to give as well, and directly to missions, for instance. And we have other ways here. We have gift cards and Christmas care net and baby bottle campaign and sunfish campaign for eyes, all different kinds of ways. But we want to give to God. Roy Barker is a member here, and a few years ago, his uncle Owen passed away, and Uncle Owen was 106 years old when he died. And he gave me a videotape about him, and I had looked it over. And it turns out, when Uncle Owen was a young man, he ran a still. And with this still, he made moonshine and earned $100 a week on the still. And that was back when a good-paying job was $10 a week. So this is like mining crypto back then. But then Uncle Owen got saved. He became a Christian. And he felt convicted that running a still was not the right thing for a Christian to do. And so he did away with it. And Royce says, one thing we all knew about Uncle Owen that he put God before money. He was the real deal. He was authentic Christian. And sometimes we just need to open up to our families and say, look, you know, here, here's how finances work. We, we ought to train our children in finances. This is what goes to a mortgage. If we have a mortgage and to a car payment and to groceries and to electric bill, and, and here's what we give to the church. So in a home, in a family, that means among other things, in this family, this, this is the real deal people who really love God and put Him first. Back when we used to pass offering plates, there was a, a father and his little son were in church together, and as the plate came by, the little boy leaned over to his father and said, Daddy, you don't have to pay for me. I'm under five years old. Maybe a little misunderstanding. Uh, there's a Christian counselor, Dave Ramsey. Some of you are very familiar with him. And he teaches on finances, and he's on the radio. He suggests giving our children three envelopes. An envelope that says spend, save, and give. And when they get an allowance, if they get an allowance, or if you pay them for chores, they go out and earn money to train the children to put up a certain amount of money in the spend, a certain amount in save, and a certain amount in give, maybe 10% in the give, and begin training them and teaching them. This is how in our home we worship God with our treasure. You know, if you teach a child to give 10% from the first dollar he earns or the first $10 he earns, when he makes that million, first million dollars, God willing, when he makes that first million dollars, he won't struggle as much against the demon greed to give significantly from large amounts. That's the real deal. And bring them. Bring them with those envelopes that say, give and hold them up and let them put them in the offering boxes right there with a little prayer say, God, I, or, I give this to you. Jesus, I give this to you. Worship God with our treasure. All right, in our homes. Veneration. Treasure. And then the third thing, the other one, thing I want to say here about the Magi is we worship God in our homes through variety. Through variety. Point being, the Magi brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. How many Magi were there? We typically say three, and there may have been three. We don't actually know exactly how many, but we lean toward three because there were three gifts. So they didn't all bring the same thing. There's a variety, there's many ways that we can incorporate worship into our homes. There's just no one right way to do this. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. Encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. And if it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. That's a passage about the church and how we come together and we use our, 
our gifting in the church to serve one another and worship God through service. That's an appropriate application. But I was just thinking to myself, uh, this is applicable in the home as well. We can serve each other and worship God through serving each other in a variety of ways in our homes. We can serve and teach and encourage one another. We can give and be generous and be merciful and be cheerful in the home. I don't know how you incorporate worship in the home. I'd, like, I'd love to hear from you different ideas that you have used that have worked. Uh, I, I didn't do a great job at this when our children were, li- were little. I'm, I wish I had done better. And I reached out to our staff, for instance, our other staff on serving here with the church and asked them what they had done and what they are doing. And when I say our staff, I mean, you know, I asked Kent Drake and I asked Scott Blount and Nate Wilkerson, Family Life Minister, and they responded, let me share just some things that they do and just some ideas. All three of them, interestingly enough to me, said music. They all mentioned Christian music. It was one of the ways they incorporated and inculcated a sense of worship in their home. And I like the way Kent Drake put this. He said, the biggest way that we incorporate worship in our home is to fill it with Christian music. We listen to it in the car wherever we go. It's on at various times in the house. It's become ingrained in our thoughts and actions. Music is such a powerful gift that God has given us and helps us to remember God's truths. I truly believe that our kids, and their kids are grown now, our kids are where they are today in part because of the music they grew up listening to. So that was typical of what they did. Scott Blount said the same thing. Nate said the same thing, and his children are little now. And I'm glad they said that. It's not something I would have thought of. I don't, I don't lean that way as much, but I can see the value of it. I can. There's so much Christian music now that's so inspiring. It's the style that we sang in this service. It doesn't have to be that style. Right? There's country Christian music and new country Christian music, and there's bluegrass Christian music, and there's rap Christian music. And there's all kinds. Uh, Cedric, in our life group, Cedric, I'll just point you out, was saying how in his family, he and his boys sang together and invited the Holy Spirit to come into their home, a little song, music. Uh, I thought that was profound. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul writes, Be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Note the close connection here in this verse between being filled with the Holy Spirit and music. Very powerful connection. Okay, moving on from that, Scott and Peggy also mentioned, in addition to music, they have a blessing jar in their home. And so throughout the year, if they're blessed in some way, they'll write that on a slip of paper and drop it in the jar. And then on New Year's Day, they get that jar out and they read from those blessings from the past year. Good idea. You could do it more frequently. You could do it every week or every month. Nate and Don Wilkerson, their children are still young, so I think six and eight, Micah and Lily, they mentioned the children's Bibles and various age-appropriate books that they use to teach the Bible in their home. For instance, uh, these, here's a couple of titles, Indescribable and How Great is Our God by Louis Giglio, and then One Big Story Bible Storybook by B&H Kids, and the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. Now, my wife Tammy teaches their kids in, uh, in Sunday school over here, and she has told me many times how biblically literate Lily and Mike are. If there's a Bible question, boom, they are on it. They nail it. 
And part of the reason is these age-appropriate Bibles and storybooks. Now, these titles are in the sermon notes. If you'd like a copy of the sermon, I'll email it to you. And also, they'll be in the sermon notes that we post online at our website. If you haven't done your Christmas shopping, these are great gifts for our grandkids, right? And our, our uh, grown kids. Oh, well, let me mention one more. Our Daily Bread. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Our Daily Bread is little devotional books that have been around for at least 50 years, I've said. Anybody here ever read Our Daily Bread? Quite a few, quite a few. Let me mention my wife, Tammy, and I asked her for permission to share this, but Tammy was not raised in a Christian home. Quite the opposite. And through the work of our youth minister at Inglewood Christian Church, when she was 13, she was put in a, she was put in a home. There's an older couple in the church that took her into their home, Gail and Bonnie Pruitt. And Tammy had shared with me so many times what a different environment that was. And one thing that marked her spiritually and significantly was every morning at the breakfast table, Gail would sit down with her at breakfast and would read the devotion from Our Daily Bread. Now, this is very simple. This is a scripture and a, maybe a little story and a paragraph and a prayer. But that simple practice, day in, day out, year in, year out, for the five or so years that she lived with them, was part of the spiritual formation that was built in her life. It wasn't the only part, but she remembers it, and it was a significant part. And I say that just to say, don't underestimate the power of small things and little traditions and practices like prayers, songs, and little devotions. It doesn't have to be a big formal worship service. You don't have to bring Kent in to play his guitar and lead a song service in our home. It can be something very, very simple, and yet it has a profound impact in shaping us spiritually. So I wondered if our daily bread was still around, and it is. I looked it up. They still mail out their little devotions if you want them, and they have an app that you can put on your phone. I downloaded the app on my phone. Now I can read those daily devotions. And as we close here, I'm just going to share the one for Sunday, it's from Psalm 78.4. This comes from our daily bread. The verse is this. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. Now here's the devotion the author writes. Decorative blue and white ceramic tiles commonly found in Dutch households were originally made in the city of Delft. They often depict familiar scenes from the Netherlands, beautiful landscapes, windmills, people working and playing. In the 19th century, Charles Dickens wrote in his book, A Christmas Carol, how these tiles were used to illustrate the scriptures. He described an old fireplace built by a Dutchman paved with these quaint tiles. Quote, there were Cain's and Abel's, Pharaoh's daughters, queens of Sheba, and the apostles putting out to sea, end quote. Many households used these tiles as a teaching tool as the family gathered around the warmth of the fire and shared the stories of the Bible. They learned about God's character, His justice and compassion and mercy. Psalm 78 encourages us to teach the hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. It goes on to instruct us to tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done, and they in turn can tell their children. With God's help, we can find creative and effective ways to illustrate the truths of Scripture to each generation as we strive to give God the full honor and praise that He deserves. And then our daily bread ends here with a prayer. Let's bow our heads and we'll pray together.
Prayer says, loving God, show me ways to illustrate what I have learned from Scripture so others may know of your wonders. We thank you, God, also for the Magi today, what they help us to remember about worshiping you. Yes, here in the church, but also in our own homes, to venerate you, to honor you with our treasure, to sing and pray to you. Remember, God, that you are the center of all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.